There was a time when I thought this was a job for a trainer, for a coach, for a general manager, or a manager. But I realized that is not the case. In fact, it is the number one job of the CEO and of the founder. Because what you do is you don't delegate accountability. How do you create an unshakable business? I crossed $100 million in net worth by the age of 28. Now I'm growing acquisition.com into a billion dollar portfolio. In this podcast, I share the lessons I've learned in scaling big businesses and helping our portfolio companies do the same. Buckle up and let's build. Are you guys ready to rock? Yeah, let's fucking talk about some people shit. (laughs) Kidding. Uh, Except not. So amazing. Um, I understand not everybody here is a gym owner. So I am. What's up, Ryan? See, not everyone here is a gym owner. Perfect. So I'm going to be speaking in terms of your business because I know some of you are online coaches. Many of you are gym owners, but some of you are online. And honestly, the one thing that I learned from running Gym Launch is that if you can make a gym work, you can fucking make any business work. Like the same stuff that we teach you guys at Gym Launch and when you're a gym lord is the same stuff that I use to build Gym Launch, to build Allen, to build Prestige Labs, to build Acquisition.com. Same stuff, different level, different opportunity. So you guys should take everything you get here from this event and remember that because I swear to God, like there's no secret to unlock the next thing. It's the same stuff done more times with more efficiency. So that being said, what I want to do today is talk about how to get other people to do stuff like make you money. Okay, so these are the principles, like I said, that we have used to build Gym Launch, Prestige Labs, and now Acquisition.com, and all of the portfolio companies within it. And so let's dive in. So here's what most people do. And you heard Alex talk about this a little bit yesterday, and I know Kale touched on it as well, in terms of like, what do you need to really do to grow your business, right? What most people do is they have a small business, right? And they're like, okay, I have a small business. so. It makes sense that in order to grow my business, I need more traffic. I need more sales. I need to go from Facebook to TikTok. I need to add in TikTok. I need to get a YouTube. I need to do content. I need more people. I need more money, right? Who has ever done this and you've added more and your business has still stayed small? Me too, right? And so what happens is not even that it stays small. (laughs) It's that you have less conversions. You get higher churn. Feels like chaos. You have no data or numbers to rely on, and you have increased overwhelm. Who's felt that? You like add teammates, and you're like, why the fuck is it worse? (laughs) Right? We've all been there. You're like, this makes no sense. I'm spending more money, I'm trying harder, and I'm making less money. Like, frustrating, right? And that's because this is actually not how you grow a business. And there is a step in between. So before you add in all of the amazing stuff that you're learning here, we want to make sure that you're actually getting the most out of what you're doing now. So what is it that makes a small business into a big business, right? It's really something quite boring, which I call the five principles of management, right? And bear with me here. Let me tell you why this is important, okay? So who here has been on a sports team? I figured, no. (laughs) Guess who hasn't? Um, If business is like a sports team, does it make sense to constantly add more players or to ensure that we have the best coach with the best practices first? Best coach, right? Yes, exactly. Okay. The average coach on a sports team actually has a 30% variation on team success. 
Crazy, right? That is huge. Okay. Ironically, I looked this up. The average CEO or owner of the business, whatever you want to call yourself, right, has almost the same influence on a business, right? And I know this because I lived it. So I want to give you guys a little bit of context as to why I actually am so passionate about this stuff. So has anyone ever worked at a big box gym? (laughs) I feel like a lot of people in here would. Yeah, amazing. Uh, So my first job out of college was actually at 24-hour fitness. And I moved out there. I got my degree in exercise science, moved out there. And I was like, I need to make fucking money because I have like $5,000. My rent's $1,200 a month. And like, I don't know what I'm doing, right? So I got a job at 24-Hour Fitness because it was the first gym that was like, you can immediately go and sell versus like some of them, they have like 90-day probation and stuff like that. And I was like, I don't have time. I'm not gonna be able to pay my rent, right? So I got a job at 24. Never had sold before, literally just fresh out of college, understood exercise, had lost a bunch of weight myself, helped people on the side, right? And I had a boss and his name was Mike. And Mike was the manager of that 24-Hour Fitness. And Mike... I would say, is the reason that I did not quit sales, right? When there was girls sitting outside crying on the curb, I had Mike, who was a fantastic manager and leader, who was the reason I stayed with it. Why? Mike was a great communicator. He was predictable, meaning like he was at work every day. He showed up with enthusiasm. He was excited. He was constantly encouraging right? So it's like every time I didn't make a sale, or I was like, fuck, like, I'm not good at this. Like, maybe I'm not cut out for it. He was like, dude, you've got this. Like, I know you can do it. Like, this is something that you should stick with. So he was constantly a voice of reason and positivity. He was fair, but he also didn't sugarcoat it, right? So it's like when someone was sucking, he wasn't like, oh, you're doing amazing. He was like, yeah, it's pretty fucking bad, but like, we can work on it, right? And I think that's really what everybody wants. And at the end of the day, he made a really hard job fun. Has anyone here been in sales before? You're basically all selling because you're business owners. Um, But that was why I stuck with it. And honestly, I'm really blessed that I had him as a boss because it was such a good experience. And I really think that that is the reason that I continued to stick with it. And I didn't just like immediately leave and go do something else. He was just such a great leader. Unfortunately, he was such a great leader that they said, Mike, we need you to leave and open a new location. I was like, fuck. Okay, well, that's weird. But I'd never been somewhere before where they would take one leader out and bring another one in. So I didn't really think like much is going to change. Right. Little did I know. Not Mike came in. Not Mike, if I can give you a clear idea of what it was like, he came in and I remember the first meeting, I think in the first two minutes, I heard the word fuck like seven times. He was like, we're gonna fucking turn this shit around. We're gonna fucking get to work. You guys, we're not fucking around here anymore. And I was like, we're the top performing gym in the region, in all of California and all of the West Coast. We were the top in personal training sales. And he comes in and talks to us like we're eating shit. And I was like, what the? And we're all looking at each other and they're like, we're the best on the West Coast. What are you saying? Right? Like so out of context, very unclear communication, right? So he's talking about how terrible we are, but he's not telling us what we're doing that's terrible because obviously it's not the sales since we're fucking killing it, right? Uh, he was unpredictable. He, we never knew if he was going to be in the office or not. Sometimes he wouldn't even show up to the team meetings. We'd like be all sitting there and he just like wouldn't be there. We're like, all right, guess we're running it ourselves, right? And then he was fear-based. I'll never forget. So like many trainers do, Um, when I knew that he was going to be the one there for a long period of time, I was like, well, I'm clearly going to leave. So I stopped selling people into my roster at 24. And I remember he said to me one day, I remember this clear as day. He was like, Layla, if you don't hit quota this month, I am going to run you over with my truck, back up, run you over again and light you on fire. I was like, "Mm, fuck off. Um, that was when I was like, I'm definitely leaving. Um, so I think we could all say that he was pretty unfair, made a lot of assumptions. 
and he made a really hard job freaking horrible. Like everyone ended up leaving, right? And can you guess what happened in a short three months? Yeah. <laughs> well, I wish. Uh, you know, he went to a different location. But um, no, we went from breaking records to actually like mediocre. Like we fell below even the average of a location. And all the top trainers, including myself, left. And this is experience is what put me on a mission to create a business where people actually genuinely loved working because I myself understood the difference of what it's like to genuinely love working somewhere versus be somewhere where you hate it and you dread it and you cry in your car on the way to work every day because you just hate it. It feels awful. And it's because I knew firsthand what it felt like. And I know not everybody in this room has had that opportunity. I think some of us have had jobs. Some of us have never had a job, right? But I really am grateful for that because I believe that that is what put me on the path to build a place where people genuinely want to work. And so what that has taught me has to figure out the five principles of management. Now, I want to be really explicit here. These are the principles that I use. Does this mean that this is all encompassing of anything you're ever going to hear? Like, fuck no. There's probably plenty of people like, this is completely wrong. And there's all these other things. That's fine. But today we're going to talk about these five because these are the five that I have used in every business that I have grown. And in all the businesses that we advise, I teach them these things. Sound good? Cool. So what I would love is that what I don't like is when people leave a talk and they walk away and they're like, that was amazing and I feel good. But then there's like no fucking action taken. Like I am execution. So what I would love is if you guys take notes, if you take screenshots, if you take notes on your phone. And I actually want to conduct this in a way where you can rate yourselves on these five principles. Yeah? Amazing. Okay, cool. So have something else you can rate yourselves. I would love it if you can do that because I'm going to ask you to share with some people at the end. Cool? Amazing. So let's talk about the first piece that goes into this. Okay, if you're trying to build a place where people actually want to come to work, it is keeping expectations clear. Okay, so what are expectations? Because I think everyone talks about that, like, gotta set expectations. I'm like, okay, well, what the fuck is that? Let's define it, right? Expectations are the verbalization of how someone should act or something should be done. Okay, so I'll give you an example, which is you could tell your kid, make your bed, and it could end up looking like shit like this right? Anyone have said that, like, clean your room, and then you look, you're like, really? It's still messy, right? Or you could say, make your bed like a five-star hotel would. It's much more explicit, right? Think about the imagery that you create just with adding in that one piece of information. That is how we set expectations. And so often what expectations are is they're the unsaid rules of engagement, right? They're the non-negotiable agreed upon behaviors and norms that everyone on the team is held to based on the values of the organization, right? Often unsaid, but without properly defined expectations or spoken expectations, nobody understands how to play or win the game, right? Because how often have you heard this, right? You bring someone new on the team and you're like, amazing. They were, say it's a, a coach and they were a coach at a gym that was down the street. And you bring them in, they're like, amazing. They have experience. They're now a coach in my facility. This is going to be great. But the difference is that the gym down the street was like playing Monopoly. That was the game they were playing. And your gym, they're playing checkers. Because as the founder, as the CEO, as the one who owns the business, you define the rules of the game and you define what it means to win. And every single person has different rules. And so I myself have experienced this. When we built Gym Launch, having somebody who was ahead of customer success versus building Alan ahead of customer success, completely different role, completely different person we need. 
And so what you have to understand is that even if somebody has experience and you expect them to come in and understand, it's like, well, this is so obvious. You're a trainer. It's so obvious. You're a coach. You have to state the obvious. And I think that's where most people miss is that expectations, honestly, most of the time are saying the shit that you're like, this, I think this is completely obvious, but they don't know because where they were, it might've been completely different. And so in businesses, there are really four levels of expectations. Now, for the sake of time and efficiency and focus, I want to talk about the one today that I believe is the most important for your businesses, and that is core values, okay? I'm sure you've all heard of core values. Many of you have them, especially if you're at Gym Launch, right? Who has core values? Amazing. Good. First step, okay? So what are core values? And this is the piece that I want you guys to understand is that they are the highest level of expectations. So when people ask me, they're like, how do you get tell people what to do? It's like, how do I get this person to do that? start here. This is the highest level of expectations that you could set with anybody on your team. If you actually live and die by the values that you set with the organization, it's where everything else stems from. So what are they really, right? They are the root beliefs that the organization operates from. So they are the principal perspectives, okay? So it's like a perspective. You see things through these values that guide the organization's behavior, okay? So A lot of people, instead of having values or when they have very weak values, they lead with rules. So what does that look like, right? Rules would be having a list of things that people need to do. So let's say that you hire a trainer and they are running classes for you and you might have a checklist. In fact, I know some of you do have these. You have like a 40-page SOP with all the things that they need to do to run a fucking class, right? Or... The best gyms are run by values, right? And the best businesses are run by values. If you lead with values, you can get people to adhere to 99% of what you need them to, right? So say speed is king is your value, right? So do I need to have a set of rules that says clock in every day by 8 a.m. sharp, respond to every teammate within 120 seconds, respond to every lead within 60 seconds? Instead of saying all those rules, you set the one thing, which is the value which is speed is king. Now, in contrast to that, different values mean different things. So to be clear, at Gym Launch, we have a value, do the boring work. I have a friend who has a business in tech and their value is always innovate. So what's the difference between the two, right? Well, when they have like this new, shiny, amazing idea, people actually pursue it consistently. They're like, amazing, always innovate. We should continue to do that. Like next big thing. And a lot of that is because it's pretty much boom or bust in tech. And so it's like, we should always be innovating, trying to see if we can keep up with the market because people in tech can go out of business like that. Whereas in this business, we need to do the boring work because believe it or not, this industry does not innovate as quickly as tech. (laughs) You guys probably know that by now. And so it makes more sense to have a value like do the boring work and to have people who adhere to that kind of value and who are willing to get 1%, 2%, 3% better over every month. And I know Alex spoke to that yesterday. He was talking about how Kale is a fantastic CEO for this company because that's what he does. And that's the truth. If Kale went into a tech company, he would either have to adapt or he would feel like it wasn't a fit because they are run by completely separate separate values and separate core values. Does that make sense? Great. So think about it like this. If you're in the restaurant business and a customer were to come in at 11.15 and they wanted eggs, but breakfast ended at 11 o'clock, How does your employee know without a set of rules, like an SOP 70 pages long, 
that it is okay to serve eggs or not? Like really think about it. How do they know if that's okay? Do you expect them to always delight the customer or do you expect them to uphold the agreed upon serving hours? That's the question that's going to pose in their mind. And what you have to understand is that this is different based on the business. So how many of you guys would think that if you went to McDonald's, they would give you eggs if it's past 11? I don't know if they serve them until 11. I have no fucking idea. But if you ask for eggs when it was past breakfast, do you think McDonald's would give it to you? Fuck no. They don't give a shit, right? But if you go to like Stacy's mom and pop breakfast burrito something, I don't even know if that's a thing, but like, and you were like, can I get eggs past 11? She's probably like, of course, just like, Give them eggs past 11 because they're going to fucking come back again if you do that, right? And those are, those behaviors that you want to drive, your value should represent those behaviors. And so you want to think about that in terms of your business, in terms of what are the things, the behaviors that you need people to constantly exemplify, tie those into your values and repeat them. Because the thing is, is that the average employee does not believe something until they hear it seven times. The one thing that I feel like if anything in my career I've gotten better at now is repetition. And I still feel like I suck at it, but I feel like I've definitely gotten better at it than I was when we ran gym launch. Like we said our core values a lot, but I think now it's like every single thing is tied into the core values. The partners that we bring on at acquisition.com, the people that we bring on at acquisition.com, the decisions that we make of what companies we're going to invest in, what markets we're going to invest in, what industries we're going to work with, the types of companies. So I'll give you an example, right? One of our core values is unimpeachable character. So no judgment here. But when we have an OnlyFans or a porn company come to us that fits all the criteria, do you think that we're going to invest in that company? No, because it just doesn't fit with our values. I have nothing against any of those things. People do their own thing, but like that is just not for us. And it wouldn't be something like when Alex talked about the bouquet of brand, values in a way are the internal brand of your company. And so would that fit with the bouquet? No, it would make it look wilted. So what I want you guys to do is rate your scale on a, rate your scale, rate yourself on a scale of one to 10 in terms of expectations. One is like, it's abysmal. I have like no expectations. I actually really need to work on this and I suck and I should be here and listen more. 10 is like, I don't need to listen to this bitch. Awesome. So we covered expectations. Let's move on to the second one. You guys know this one which is why I'm excited for it. Accountability. Who here has accountability in their business? Is that part of the service you offer? Yep, wonderful. So what is accountability? Let's define it for the sake of this conversation or <laughs> presentation. Um, accountability is the quality or state of being responsible to one's obligations. Okay, so holding someone accountable means holding them responsible for their actions and results. As a person who manages people, it is your job to let people know, let your direct reports know, let your team know how they are doing in relation to how they are expected to be doing. So when people are like, how do I hold people accountable? I'm like, oh my God, it's this. <laughs> like, how are you doing versus like, how, do you, how are you supposed to be doing, right? And it is your job. Now, where I've seen this go wrong in so many cases is that we believe that it is the job of somebody else on the team. There was a time when I thought, this was a job for a trainer, for a coach, for a general manager, or a manager. But I realized that is not the case. In fact, it is the number one job of the CEO and of the founder. Because what you do is you don't delegate accountability. You disseminate it down. 
by holding, whether you have an operations manager, a head of sales, a head coach, whatever it is, those people right below you, you hold them the most accountable so that then it disseminates down from them into the rest of the team. Does that check out? Amazing. There was a time where I thought that if you hire experienced enough people, you don't need to hold them accountable. I was fucking wrong. (laughs) And it took me three years to figure that out because what I did was that I was, I didn't understand that it's really not CEO, it is chief accountability officer. You are the one that holds the standards for the whole organization. And the way that you do that so that everyone else sees is how you hold your leaders responsible. Even if it's just one person with you, I swear, like if you have an operations manager, like that's it, but like they do everything. You need to pour all your energy into that person so that they can disseminate it down to everybody else. Because what you do to them is what they will mimic to everybody else. Now, what are symptoms of low accountability on teams? So if you're in this room right now and you're like, I don't know if we have low accountability or not, I can tell you what it looks like because I've been there. On the hard science side of this, you would have low revenue per headcount. So even if your gym has high revenue, it might be like, well, I also have a lot of employees and therefore I don't make that much money. You have hidden expenses, maybe things you didn't know you were paying for. You have low sales, upsells and cross-sells and you have high churn with employees. I can't tell you my times, it's like, I can't get anyone to keep working at my gym. I'm like, low accountability. Now on the behavioral side of things, what that looks like is probably a lot of complaining from your employees, uh, probably you resenting your team and feeling the need to like talk shit about them when they're not there, unfinished projects and things that don't get done, and high activity with low output. These are all things that in a business are a symptom of low accountability. And I can tell you because I've fucking see it all the time in companies that we look at. It's like people think you need to like completely redo the strategy of a company. It's like, oh my God, we need to just hold people accountable. It's a lot easier than that. And I say that because when we ran Gym Launch in 2018, we had 120 full-time employees and some of the team in the back knows this story and lived it. Um, And at that point in time, I didn't really understand the accountability piece. Like I, I didn't repeat things enough. I delegated the responsibility of accountability to the leadership team. And I didn't really fully understand how important it was. And because of that, we had really low effectiveness of the team. And it felt really bad. In fact, there was a day when Alex and I were on a walk and we looked at like the bank account or something. And we were like, holy shit, we just had the biggest month ever. I think it was like $4.5 million. And we are like, I can't believe that. I'm like 24. We just made $4.5 million in one month. Like, that's insane. I looked at him and I was like, I fucking hate this. He was like, what? I was like, I literally feel like I'm doing everything. I feel like the team is so ineffective. I feel like people aren't actually doing their jobs. Like, I feel like it's all wrong. He was like, don't do anything. (laughs) It's still working though. (laughs) And I was like, but I knew. I just like knew in my gut. I was like, something's wrong. And honestly, what was more frustrating than anything, has everyone ever felt this? Like, I knew my ignorance was the issue. I'd never done it before. I'd never built a company that big. It was so frustrating. And all I ever did was strive to be the absolute best leader possible. But sometimes you just aren't there yet. And what I realized was I kind of had a conversation with a friend of mine. And I said, I feel like everyone on the team, like like literally a third of the team is not doing anything. I don't know what to do. She was like, I think you do know what to do. I was like, what's that? She's like, it's your fault. I was like, yeah, fuck, it is my fault. Should I? Can't fire myself though, because own half the company. So here we are. Um, so I really sought out to understood what I was doing wrong. And that was when it all came back to accountability. 
And what I realized is that I just wasn't holding people accountable on the team. I wasn't telling them what they need to do. I wasn't setting expectations. I was behind their back thinking about how shitty they were doing, but not really telling them well enough to their face. And so I started doing it. I made a commitment. I was like, I'm not going to do this anymore because I was too nice. I was like too accepting. I was too nice. I didn't set the standards high enough. And so finally, when I turned that around, we went from 120 full-time employees to 75. Why? Because when you start doing that, you realize the people that have just been skating by the whole time. And we held the same revenue. Did that suck? Yeah, fucking blue. It was like literally the lowest of my career because once I started holding people accountable, people got pissed, people got mad, people didn't like what we were doing, they felt like the company was changing, they felt like things were like, and it was all because I was trying to raise everyone else up and I made them aware of it. I was like, listen, I've been fucking up, I haven't been holding you guys accountable. But some people joined that team because they liked that. They didn't like being held accountable. But I can tell you it was the best thing we ever did for the business. That being said, what I realized is this is that accountability is essentially the glue between the commitment someone makes and the result you get. And without it, the two are divorced from each other and you see all these people doing things and it creates no result. I'm sure we've all felt that. And so I wanted to dissect a common scenario where accountability delivers results. Okay, you guys are all gonna be familiar with this. Weight loss. So there was actually a study done and it was over the Christmas period. Okay, so it was over Christmas time. And basically, the study talked about how there were people who weighed themselves every day versus people who didn't weigh themselves at all. Okay, they didn't change their diet, didn't change exercise, nothing. The only instruction was either half the group weighs yourself, half the group doesn't. This is what happened. So those who weighed themselves every day lost an average of 1.9 pounds. I'm sure you guys have seen this with your clients, right? It's like, oh, you lost weight because you started looking at the scale and realizing it was going in the wrong direction, right? Because just subconsciously, they stopped doing some of the things they were doing because they hate the number they see. Versus the group that didn't weigh themselves. It tends to be that when we don't measure something, it goes in the opposite direction of what we want, right? And so those people actually gained 4.9 pounds. That being said, what does this mean to you guys? You are the scale. So when your clients step on the scale and it tells them where they are at versus where they want to be, That is what you are to your team. You are the scale for them. There is no report. There is no number. There's no metric that's going to substitute you telling them how they're doing in their job. And so it's, there's low performance and there's ideal performance. And you are letting them know where they fall on that spectrum. What would they have to do to make it lower, right? Like, here's what you could do if you want to be worse at your job. And then here's what you would have to do to be ideal, to be a fucking rock star and hit it out the park. And you share that with them. And people are like, well, when do I do it? On their one-on-ones that you have with them. If you don't have a one-on-one, schedule one, right? So the question is, if it's so simple, why is this such a problem in business? Guys, there is a study done by McKinsey that talks about how businesses, two out of three strategies that are set out by a business fail. That means that if you guys leave here and you're like, I'm gonna do TikTok, I'm gonna do YouTube, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this new sales thing, blah, 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 66% will fail. Now, some businesses can take that to 78%. Do you know what, why and what the difference is? Businesses that have a 78% success rate with strategy are the ones who focus on the soft stuff, which they define as culture, accountability, talent management, people management. So like when I talk about this, where it's like, why is this a problem that you have a hard time having hard conversations? It's like, because it fucking matters. Your business will be less profitable, it'll make less money, and people will not like to work there. So why is it that we don't do these things, right? 
Usually, it's literally just because we're uncomfortable, right? Who here is uncomfortable having hard conversations? Don't lie. Most people. Who does it anyways? Great, like half. We like to avoid things that we're naturally uncomfortable at. I get that because in the beginning, the hardest thing for me was to tell somebody that they weren't doing well with their job because I hated the look on someone's face when they were scared. I didn't want them to fear, feel fear. You know, I hated doing that to people, right? But what I realized is that the short-term fear that maybe someone feels when you have to tell them they're not doing the best job is better than the long-term dysfunction of having to fire somebody because you didn't tell them. Because we have a lot of lies that ruminate in our head that also prevent us from doing this, right? I shouldn't have to babysit them. These people have done this job before. They're an inexperienced adult. They should know better. You know, I bought this person in. They've got seven years of experience. I should have to tell them what to do. I should have to tell them how well they're doing. They should know on their own, right? Or like, this is my favorite one. We're a high-performance culture. They just don't fit in. It's just fucking lazy. I don't have time to manage someone to this extent. Like, I don't, I don't have time for that later. I just need to fire them. I don't have time to manage my team. Tough. And so what does anger do? Because listen, I have been in all these scenarios and I've fought all these fucking things. And to this day, I still think these things, but I just act differently. Anger protects us from destroying our own self-image, right? So anytime you're angry at somebody on your team, look inside and ask yourself, what am I afraid that this situation says about me as their boss? Anytime I hear someone complain about their team, now it's like an automatic trigger in my head. I'm like, you fucking hired them. You're the reason they're here. Why are you complaining about a person who you have all of the realm of like control of if they're on the team or not? You have the control, right? But we're just not using our words. We're not expressing it. We're not holding them accountable. And so the question is, how do you hold someone accountable? And I really have thought about this a lot because I was like, I hate when people are like, you need to help people accountable. I'm like, well, what the fuck does that mean, right? And we've talked about what that looks like, but really broken down, I want you guys to screenshot this if you can, because I really think it's the simplest version of what accountability is. Okay. Accountability is an expectation tied to a measurement. And the only thing that can amplify it is feedback. Okay. So let me break that down really simply for you guys with a few examples. Expectations are in the form of their job description, the core values of the company, and the expectations you set for them. Right. So I'm setting the expectation with like, this is the job description. Here's the values of the company. Right. Now I'm going to measure that with scorecards, with KPIs I tie to that person's role. So if they're a salesperson, it's like closing sales, how many sales and what's your close rate, right? And then the last piece that is the one that can either make this better or worse is feedback. When am I telling them how they're doing with the measurements that are tied to the expectations? Am I telling them in meetings? Am I telling them in one-on-ones? Do I have end-of-week reports where they have to fill it out to see it themselves? Do I have surveys where I'm asking them for feedback? Do I have feedback exercises? Do I recognize and reward them when they do well? Do I give them quarterly reviews where I'm telling them how they're doing? The more of those things you do, the higher degree you hold somebody accountable. So the more communication you have with somebody on your team about how they are doing, the more accountable they are held. Does that check out? My favorite way to do this is that the more that you can have them fill something out where they have to see how accountable they are, like when they have to fill out a daily report or a weekly report where it talks about and it's showing here are the things you are measuring and they have to self-assess the measurement, you barely have to even hold someone accountable because you are showing them themselves. Like they're like, yes, my I'm a two this week. Like obviously I'm sucking. Most people are so punishing to themselves. All you have to do is create the opportunity in which they have to measure themselves first. It's just like a client. You know, if they sign up with you and they weigh 180 pounds and it's like they have to fill out a thing and it's like the end of the week, they weigh 181, how do they think that they're doing? I understand scale, measurement, blah, blah, blah. But like, really, 
It's like, obviously, they're like, oh, it's not going the direction I want. This kind of sucks. And then you can just have a conversation about what to do better. You don't have to be like, you suck. Rate yourself on a scale of one to 10 on accountability. So one is like, you're like, I am a pussy. I don't hold anybody accountable. I don't tell them what to do. I don't tell them how well they're doing. And I need to hear this today. 10 is that everybody on your team is thriving because they all know how well they're doing or how not well they're doing. And they feel good about the fact that you're transparent with them. Awesome. 